Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I'm your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm privileged to welcome a very accomplished professional from New York, USA, Mr. Mark Yagi. Mark, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me today. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Mark is the Chief Executive Officer of Waterkeeper Alliance, which is a global movement of community-based advocates united for clean, healthy, and abundant water for all the people in the planet. So Mark, before we talk about water and the Alliance, tell me a little bit about your own journey and what got you interested in water? It's a good question. You know, I, I grew up obsessed with water. I When I was a boy, I had a golden retriever puppy named Ben and Ben and I swam and we fished in ponds and creeks and rivers and lakes. It was every day after school, on weekends, every day in the summer. And just being on in and around water was like freedom and happiness to me. Mm -hmm. And my best memories, my most cherished memories from my childhood always involved that water. Mm -hmm. And I, as I got older and started learning more and traveling around the world, I learned that not everyone had those same experiences or were able to share those experiences I had. And not everyone could go down to their local waterway, mm-hmm. jump in and out of swim without fear of being sick, getting sick. You know, not everyone could turn on a tap and get a cool glass of drinking water and be sure that it's free of toxic chemicals. And not everybody could, like we would do, go down and catch a fish and bring it home and feed it to our, you know, cook it for our family without fear they were going to poison their family with mercury or PCBs. Right. And so I think those experiences, both the the combination of the happiness and joy that being around water brought to me and that sort of anger and disbelief that everyone else can have those same experiences led me to focus on issues around clean water advocacy and, and come here ultimately at Waterkeeper Alliance. Wow. And what would you say are the mission and goals of Waterkeeper Alliance. This is a little bit of background. We're a global nonprofit with that unites more than 300 locally based clean water advocacy organizations around the world. And we focus citizen action, science and law on issues that affect waterways from pollution to climate change. So there are currently 320 locally based clean water organizations in 47 countries. And they patrol and protect about 3 million square miles or six or seven square kilometers, uh, million square kilometers of watershed around the world mm-hmm. for about three quarters of a billion people. And as you mentioned, our, our visions for clean, healthy and abundant water for all people on the planet. And our mission is to protect everyone's right to clean water in communities mm-hmm. around the world. So, you know, to do that, we we exist to strengthen those local waterkeeper groups you know i'm not here in new york trying to tell someone in india or or in yeah. in seattle or florida or south america how their community interfaces with water how they interact with water and what they need mm-hmm. we're there to help strengthen we believe that the local people know best mm-hmm. we're there to strengthen their work mm-hmm. we work to amplify their collective voices around the world and we work together to fortify defend and enforce clean water laws and policies mm-hmm. fascinating and what, Mark, would you say are some of the key challenges that our planet faces when it comes to water quality and access? How much time do we have? <laughs> There's a lot. The, the challenges are many. And it's certainly, 
you know, certainly pollution and overuse are stressing global water supplies, mm -hmm. jeopardizing public health, increasing competition for these precious resources. You know, about 2 billion people around the world don't have access to safe drinking water today. Water scarcity is affecting about half the world's population. And every day, 2 million tons of industrial sewage and, and industrial and agricultural waste are being dumped into our, our world waters. But, you know, on top of that, like hovering over all of it is the existential crisis of climate change. Mm -hmm. And climate change is a water issue. It's a water risk issue. If you think about it, flooding, drought, sea level rise, ocean acidification, extreme weather, these are all climate impacts that have water issues to mm -hmm. them with them. And, you know, we see that, we see that nexus of climate and water through the lens of our local groups, right? In, in Ladakh, India, our Himalayan glacier water keeper will tell you that mm -hmm. over the past decade, things have turned upside down. It doesn't rain when it should, it snows when it shouldn't. And some communities have had to be relocated due to drought. Mm -hmm. Other communities have had to rebuilt after devastating floods. If you go uh, in Mongolia, our Tool River water keeper talks about how droughts forcing more people to move from the countryside into cities that don't have the infrastructure to handle the population surge. Mm -hmm. And in, uh, in the Bahamas, our water keepers know that there's a real risk. They're going to lose a majority of their land to sea level rise this century. Mm -hmm. and They worry about the security of their culture and their heritage and their right. existence. We're seeing, you know, ultimately climate change, altering the chemistry of our oceans, the character of our coastlines and the timing and intensity of rain and snow causing havoc around the world. And mm -hmm. for us, it's, it's important that people recognize both that, that climate change is a water issue and that we remember that water is our most important resource. When we talk about the, you know, the UN talks about its sustainable development goals. And we look at water as much more than just sustainable development goal number six, because without water, you can't really make headway on eliminating poverty, eliminating hunger, getting taking to equality, getting to peace, or any of the other sustainable development goals. Really, water is a, a condition precedent to achieving those goals. Mm -hmm. And so for us, it's 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 critical resource that we have and it's limited it's limited yeah that's true and you know you gave three very interesting examples of Ladakh Mongolia and Bahamas how does the alliance work with local partners to support these challenges you know from the very beginning of our our work which was traces back to 50 years ago on the Hudson River in New York more than 50 years ago a fundamental principle of our philosophy is that change starts at the local level. Mm -hmm. And so the important work is really supporting those local grassroots efforts and making sure they're as strong as possible to take mm -hmm. on the issues that are affecting their communities and their waterways. And we also have an advocacy team that, that uses their skills to address these challenges and support those local groups, primarily through campaigns, mm -hmm. which we've got three, three main campaigns. One is to hold industrial agriculture accountable. Mm -hmm. um, one is to strengthen uh, the second one is to strengthen defend and enforce clean water laws and policies and the uh, and that and then the third one's through our climate and safe energy campaign so for an example to your question you know it, in the climate and safe energy campaign we undertake a number of issues working on fossil fuel projects mm -hmm. to push for really three overarching goals and that's that uh, we need to we need an aggressive timeline to shift away from our dependence on fossil fuels and bring an end to new and expanded fossil fuel sources. Mm -hmm. We need to commit to a, a, 
a low carbon future and ensure that there are strategies to build resilience in local communities and watersheds. And third is we need to demand justice, equity, and better health outcomes for the low-income communities, communities of color, and the indigenous communities that are suffering the brunt of climate change impacts. Mm -hmm. And so our team uses their tools, you know, the tools they have in the toolbox to, 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 to foster those goals and facilitate those goals through our work. Very interesting. And, you know, when, when I talk to people who manage water and they keep saying we can't get clean water because, you know, there are effluents and all kinds of discharges, from a very simplistic perspective, the first response is why don't we just shut it down? For the last 75 years in India, we've been talking of cleaning different rivers and we still don't seem to do it. Right. What, in your view, uh, is uh, or are some of the major threats to clean water? Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of them and some of it is that that apathy and you know i can i can talk about i'll talk a couple couple here in the in the one in the here in the us is also you know a lot of times it's political forces and um sometimes the alignment of polluters with with politicians but also here in the us we've got issues with the us supreme court right last year in a case called sackett um the, the five us supreme court justices sided with corporate polluters that wanted to to eliminate 50 years of clean water protections for wetlands mm. And ultimately, the decision revoked water quality protections here in the U.S. for half of the wetlands in our country. Mm. And, you know, the court used arbitrary reasoning that defies the text of the act of the Clean Water Act. It defies science, it defies decades of legal interpretation, and it defies the expectations of the public who need clean water across the country. Mm. We have, you know, issues like that. You've got issues like pollution sources coming from you know, industrial polluters that like, you know, we should be cleaning them up. And we keep finding, you know, more and more different pol new pollution sources, the ones that have been around for a long time and that have never been addressed. So for example, you know, a global problem is PFAS, or it's called per polyfluoroalkyl substances, right? These are PFAS. It's a class of, of more than 12,000 man-made chemicals that were invented in the 1930s by accident. And they were found to be very useful because they repel water, they repel oil, they repel grease. And so they were pretty quickly put into manufacturing. And we all have them with our waterproof jackets, our fast food wrappers, our pizza boxes, carpets, mm. nonstick cookware. And so those chemicals are now everywhere. And through their manufacturer use and disposal, they've ended up in our waterways. And so the problem is that, you know, you may have heard of them being called forever chemicals because they don't break down in our environment or our bodies. Right. This is increasingly linking them to certain types of cancer, liver and kidney disease, immunological problems and reproductive and developmental harm. Hmm. And they've gotten into our waterways and our fish and our wildlife. And for most all of us, probably you and me, they're in our blood. Right. And so, you know, there's all these different, the threats are, are myriad. And I think some of it comes down to, the the combination of uh, money and politics and from you know and these these sort of industries that see short-term profits and put those ahead of people and you know use their campaign contributions to know that they're not going to face consequences from the regulator regulators and the officials mm -hmm. and that creates a dynamic where we're not cleaning up these issues that need to be cleaned up and that seems to be a challenge in almost every country in the world yeah. My next question to you, Mark, is that you spoke very briefly about climate change and the impact climate change has on water. I wanted to understand that 
how has climate change impacted water quality and access? And how does your alliance respond to some of these challenges? Yeah, that's a very important question. You know, climate change is profoundly impacting water quality and access. It's exacerbating existing challenges and then creating new threats for this most important natural resource we have. You know, rising temperatures contribute to more frequent and intense weather events, mm. leading to extreme precipitation or drought. And those events disrupt our water systems. They cause contamination and diminish our water quality. Mm -hmm. And the higher temperatures also increase the proliferation of bacteria in, in algae in water bodies, further compromising our safety. Mm. And then, you know, on top of that, changes in weather patterns affect the availability of, of freshwater resources. Some regions experience intensified drought, which is reducing their ability to have water to support food systems, drinking water supplies, and the ecosystem services. And then on the other, you know, flip on the flip of the coin, other communities face more intense rainfall, which causes flooding and overwhelms their water treatment facilities, their infrastructure, contaminates their water supplies. And these shifts in water availability, you know, and, and water quality are, are disproportionately impacting vulnerable communities and they, they exacerbate social inequality. Mm. And so addressing climate change is crucial, not only for mitigating its effects, but also safeguarding global water resources and ensuring equitable access, access for everyone. To your, your question about addressing these challenges, we, we like, we support local efforts to use citizen action science and law to hold polluters accountable and keep mm -hmm. fossil fuels in the ground mm. and to promote cleaner energy sources. Um, we also support local effort, local e efforts at the local level to deploy nature-based solutions to protect and sustainably support our natural ecosystems that serve as the, the fabric of our communities. Mm -hmm. And at the macro level, we work to influence investors, insurers, and governments to get out of the fossil fuel business and get into the clean and safe energy business. Well, sir, thank you. Great response. My next question is that, you know, can you share some insights into the impact of your work, particularly in some of the developing countries? Yeah, absolutely. I would love to share some, some examples of some of the impact that our, our local groups are having and, and some of their successes, because that's what inspires me all the time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in, in India, for example, our Yamuna Riverkeeper was engaged in a, in a women-led program to restore first order tributary of the Ganges River, the Holy Ganges River. Yeah. And uh, that stream, which ceased flowing 75 years ago, has now revitalized natural springs for the community. It's increased water security for the community. And it's improved the local flora and fauna and also reduced wildlife threat, uh, wildfire threats. Uh, also in uh, in Vietnam, our Huang River waterkeeper there has been really effective in using ecosystem-based adaptation by restoring mangroves to enhance flood resilience for mm -hmm. urban and coastal areas. Uh, in in China, we have a we have a group there that the, their community had developed an awareness where contaminated drinking water was causing cancer clusters, mm -hmm. and they uh, worked our our it was our Upper Hawaii River waterkeeper. They developed a biological worked with the community in developing a biological water purification system 
which takes rainfall, uh, you know, rainwater and filters it. And the end result is that the uh, when it's tested, it meets China's drinking water standards. And over the past 10 years or so, they've built about 50 of these water purification systems in, in these cancer villages mm. and have been able to provide clean and safe drinking water for people. Mm. Uh, another example I, always, I, I like too is in Senegal, our uh, Han Baykeeper played a really key role in convincing the government and some European uh, development institutions to commit $68 million US to clean up their bay. Yeah. And I had been there before. It was one of the, the, the most polluted places I'd ever seen. And uh, that's now turned into a $130 million project that is involving now 17 uh, local towns and villages. And they're enlarging a sewage treatment plant to take care of untreated sewage that when I was there was flowing right by the villagers' homes through their fish market into the bay. Mm. Uh, they now have sanitation service. There's garbage pickup in the community, which wasn't there before. And, you know, once that project's completed, it's going to be the largest clean water project in the history of Senegal and will impact about a half a million Senegalese citizens. Wow. What an amazing set of examples you've given. Thank you. My next question is that, how do you engage with governments and policymakers to advocate for stronger environmental regulations? You know, it really varies by location. It's, you know, going back to kind of something I was alluding to earlier, if someone asks about, you know, when you ask about the biggest threats to our right to clean water, it's a lot of times that answer involves the outsized influence that major polluters have in our government. Mm. And that creates a scenario where, public officials can be more beholden to polluters than they are to the people that they're supposed to represent and, and care for. Mm. And in those cases, it's critical to have community-based organizations who will work to hold polluters and politicians accountable. Mm. At the same time, there are many officials that are working to do the right thing, and right. we want to be able to support those efforts. And that's, again, where locally-based clean water groups can play a critical role because they provide data. Mm -hmm. uh, water quality data, water quantity data, um, science, legal and community support to achieve those officials' goals at addressing water and climate issues. Mm -hmm. In either one of those scenarios, whether you're you've got the uh, the bad actors or the good actors, you know, to me, it's key to be engaged with community members and they can make clear what their expectations are for decision-making around natural resources in their community and be able to advocate for change if those expectations aren't being met. Right, right. Thank you. I have time for two or three more questions. My next question, and I'm sure you've been asked this many times, how do you balance the need for economic development with environmental conservation? Well, I think there exists. I, I think there exists a false dichotomy that pits economic growth against environmental protection. Right. And we've always believed that good environmental policy and good economic policy go hand in hand. Mm. You know, I, I see these. You see this talk about there being a green premium on sustainable choices, mm. and I think that also. I, I think it's a. It's misleading because it fails. It fails to account for the massive subsidies mm. we've been granting polluting industries for decades. Here in the U.S., we've been subsidizing the fossil fuel industries trillions of dollars a year for decades and decades. And I, I think that that argument also fails to account for the externalities mm. that polluters have been imposing on society. If you 
if you force industry to internalize the public health costs of asthma and cardiovascular disease mm-hmm. and other health problems that are caused by fossil fuel emissions and other pollution into our waterways, that price differential starts to change because they have to take on those costs. Right. And, you know, we ultimately have to remember that our 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 natural resources are the fundamental infrastructure upon which society is built and 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 allows it to thrive. And our waterways are the arteries of our community. So without robust water resources, businesses won't be able to operate. And so we want to encourage businesses to be thinking about how they're contributing positively to the local resources rather than focusing merely on short-term profits. And I think that the, that the paradigm is shifting where the, the the businesses that are really going to be thriving are the ones that are planning for the long-term and stewarding natural resources that are going to make the business and the community more resilient. Mm, well said. And my last question to you, Mark, um, how do you, uh, as the CEO of the Waterkeeper Alliance, envision the future of water advocacy and the role of technology in advancing your efforts? I think... You know, at their at their core, and I'm repeating myself, these rivers, these waterways are the are the fabric and the the arteries of our communities. And and if we with a greater understanding of, of how important they are and how climate change threatens water security, I see continued growth and expansion of advocacy for it, people getting more involved, more community-based advocacy. And it's really needed to help build resilience into those communities and watersheds and to hold those polluters accountable. I think without without having watchdogs looking out for their community's health and safety, polluters and, and public officials that they have in their pockets will continue to cut corners and run, run roughshod over communities. And I don't want to go back to the days of, you know, here in the U.S. in the 1960s when our rivers were on fire. Yeah. And, you know, from a climate perspective, I don't want to, you know, we'll jeopardize our very existence. And I think that, I think that there's a lot of new tools and technologies coming out to help us too. With greater awareness, it's, it, it's, it, it comes the ability to tap into those new tools and technologies to help support efforts. Mm-hmm. You know, like, for example, we're working with partners who are using technology, artificial intelligence and scientific analysis to aggregate and transform complex and expansive water data into easily understandable analyses and forecasts. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you know, we're in this weird, we're in this weird situation where we have a lot of data about water, but we don't have nearly enough data about water. So we're also working with a lot of partners who are developing technologies to create faster and cheaper field testing kits Mm -hmm. that can give citizen scientists Mm -hmm. tools to find out what's in their waterway quickly and cheaply, and then be able to develop plans to solve their problem. Fascinating. Uh, and I'm going to ask you one more question. Okay. This is that how can each one of us as individuals and the thousands of viewers and listeners of our conversation, how can each one of us support uh, Waterkeeper Alliance in doing our own little bit? Uh, thank you for that question. I think, you know, there's a few things I'll say. One is, I think it's important for people to tap into their connection to water mm. and remember those positive memories they have of waterways. And, you know, everyone, most everyone has some, some powerful connection to a waterway, whether it's when they learn to swim or they learn to fish with their mother and father, or they, uh, they were at the beach and had a great day or on, you know, or out on a, on a out on a canoe and, and tap into those personal connections or whatever might, what drives them, you know, for me, 
it's that that childhood I had, but also it's personal for me now because I've got a 12 year old daughter and a 15 year old son who mean everything to me. And I don't want to look back yeah. in 20 years from now and wonder why I didn't do more to ensure a safe and healthy future for them. Mm. I don't want them to look back and, and with contempt at my generation too, and say, how did you leave us these dying rivers and these dead oceans and, and it's sterile fields. And I don't think any of us want that kind of future for our kids or for our children's children, which means we all have to be part of part of the solution and we owe it to these future generations to leave them a better world than what we inherited you know so i would say um certainly i would encourage people to go to waterkeeper.org and sign mm -hmm. up for action alerts so you can learn about issues affecting waterways and how you can take action mm -hmm. you can also find your local waterkeeper if there's one in your community and get involved locally because that's where change happens mm -hmm. and then in places where you can vote uh you know vote it's vote for officials that are going to walk the walk and stand yeah. up to voters rather than be puppets for them. Mm. And, um, those are the things that, that I think we, we all have a role to play. Fascinating. Fascinating. And on that note, and your amazing thoughts to get involved, tap into your water, into your connection with water. Second, you said was see who are the people who are going to be, you know, elected and exercise your franchise. And the third you said was get involved with your waterkeeper in the community that you are in. Uh, thank you, Mark, for speaking to me about uh, Waterkeeper Alliance. Every time I speak on water, it just brings home so strongly and powerfully the need to, as you said, leave the world a better place for our children. Thank you for Absolutely. speaking to me about so many different aspects of the Alliance and all the great work that you are doing. Thank you again. Thank you so Good luck. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website, www.tbcy.in, to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.